We'd like to begin by reviewing a few key slides from Sunday. You guys should remember this first one. This is Elijah when he went up to Carmel to pray that God would bring about what he had just announced. You see how this man is kind of uh, balled up? You know what I mean? Like he's, he's all constricted now. He looks even a little bit like a, a seed on the ground. Look, we learned together on Sunday that Elijah in this position, he was not defeated. He had simply descended to a higher position. Amen. He was calling on the God of heaven who was answering him through each prayer. You just couldn't see it till the seventh time. Yeah. Look, in this house, we are learning what it looks like to descend to a higher position. What it looks like for a man to not be bound up, but to be balled up with the potential of the Almighty. Yeah. Elijah, in this position, he looks from the outside as if he is crushed. But the reality is he has potential that is ready to be unleashed upon the world. Yeah. The actual landscape changed as this man prayed in this position. John 12 speaks of this kind of potential energy. And it gives us clear instructions about the only way that it can effectively create change in the world around us. Are you ready for John 12? Oh, yeah. I'm going to pick up in the 23rd verse. Jesus replied... The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Saints, you heard about the early and latter rains. You heard about the wondrous effects of what happens when God reigns on a man's life. What we want to talk to you about is what happens between the rains. The nothingness, except what is going on in you between the rains. Amen. In the nothingness, where the seed of God inside of you begins to say, I will multiply despite the death I am currently experiencing, because the rain is coming. Yeah. Isn't that a word that we all need to constantly refresh in our soul? Well, we have another slide from Sunday we want to remind you guys of. Sound booth, pull that one up. What is the title of that slide, Saints? There is nothing. So starting with the first scripture on that slide. Now, faith, uh, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The conviction of things that are presently seemingly nothing. So faith is always unseen. Why? Because it is buried in the death that exists between the rains. Yeah. It is a seed balled up with potential. Come on. And it's awaiting its time to spring forth with life. Woo. Romans chapter 4. Are you ready for this one? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. 417. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So Romans 4 tells us about faith in the God who calls into existence the things that do not exist. So everything that we love about our father Abraham was called into existence between his initial experience with the God of heaven and his son's birth. That occurs in Genesis 21. Or in other words, the time when it looked like there was nothing. That's when things occur that God brought into existence that we love so much about Abraham and his inspiration. And we want you to make sure you catch that. You don't love Abraham because Genesis 12 happened. You don't love Abraham because Genesis 21 happened. You love Abraham because he made it from Genesis 12 to Genesis 21. Amen. He was transformed. Our God makes nothing unless it is out of the vacuum of nothingness. But realize that. On Sunday, you heard about the term ex nihilo. Do you guys remember that? Yes. And the corresponding Hebrew word bara, meaning to create out of nothing. You recognize that that is God's signature design? That is the way that he operates, is that he places seeds in the, the, the burial of death where there seems to be nothing. And it is only through him 
that something begins to resurrect and arise. Oh, come on. That's good. In other words, all things worth having are created in a time of nothingness that occurs between the rains themselves. Saints, this evening we're going to engage with a process. It's a process that is designed to ensure that whatever supernatural work that is visible in the end, like when everyone can see the promised son, can clearly be seen to have come from Adonai and not any man's hand. See, that nothing came from you and it's evident to all that it was God is the point. God designed it that way. We want to engage with the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter understood something. He understood what it was like to go through this process, this cycle of death to life. The Apostle Peter understood this and he included it in his very first spirit-filled sermon. We're going to read an excerpt from Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 27. Remember, Peter just got filled with the Holy Ghost, and this is what he decides to preach on as the Spirit moves him. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Catch verse 28. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, decayed. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead. Catch this for a minute. Seeing what was ahead. He spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. Peter is writing here, speaking about David, who could see ahead. Something that was unseen in his day, something unseen in his time, something that just looked like death. In fact, his body was in the tomb as Peter was speaking. And yet he could grasp the fact, the reality, the truth. That he would not see decay. That there was resurrection on the other side of this death. See, my friends, what looks like nothingness to everyone else? Well, to us, it's a time when we can perceive what God will do. It's a time we can perceive and advance what Christ is already doing in his resurrection power. And the best part is, we get to speak about what we believe in faith to the rest of the world around us. We get to look and see when a baby isn't healed yet and proclaim what God will do, even when men can't see it. Peter, he naturally transitioned to the resurrecting power of Christ in his very first spirit-filled sermon. Just to say it again, nothing comes to life unless it dies. This is clear in Peter's sermon. It's clear in John 12. It is clear in the pattern and design of God's working. It is in the nothingness that God displays his unlimited power in the life of a believer. That's where we find it. This is how his power is unleashed. You saw with Elijah the way in which he looked as if he was crumpled, broken down, just in seed form sitting on the ground. But it was in the midst of that nothingness, nothing happening in the sea, nothing happening in the sky above, that real power from heaven was unleashed. Look, the flesh must die. And the only way that it dies is for it to be Buried in nothingness. That's what it means for a seed to die. But that flesh dying is the unveiling of real Holy Ghost power. Nothingness and buried in fertilizer. Well, that's a Holy Ghost recipe for resurrection power. Saints Peter in his sermon, he's not pulling this out of a vacuum. He's quoting Psalm 16. Psalm 16 was the source material for Peter's sermon. For the very first spirit-filled apostolic sermon like making their debut, Psalm 16 is what Peter chose. Jesus had just died, consider this, and been raised. Peter was able to witness this cycle. And his apostles are now for the very first time filled with power from heaven. And Psalm 16 is where he chooses to begin. Peter had recently been through a long season between the rains himself. In the nothingness of failure, the time of uh, fishing after he had denied his sovereign Lord. But he also had a final restoration 
He had a resurrection of his own. Even though he was not dead, something of his calling was dead and then brought back to life. Peter, coming fresh off of this cycle, decides to turn to Psalm 16 in his sermon. He learned from his elder. He learned from Jesus who had gone before him about this death and resurrection cycle and the power that it produced. I mean, I want you to say something with me tonight. Are you going to speak to me? Say a cycle of power. See, there is a cycle that causes you to go through death. But in the end, when you learn what it is to stand between the rains and the nothingness, well, it's a cycle of power. It's what unleashes the God of heaven at work in men's lives. Peter was the seed of God, now unleashed upon the world at large. See, what looked like it was dead as he was restored, refilled, and empowered... Well, man, that started in Jerusalem, but it went to the ends of the earth. What began there spread like a cloud that rained on continents and brought the gospel as far as us. So we want to turn to the source material that he began with when describing this cycle of power. Everybody turn to Psalm 16. Say, in the nothingness as you turn. Now, Sound Booth, we're going to want you to stay in Psalm 16 as we progress through this. And we're going to read all of the corresponding verses. I, Rob, you got me? We may reference many passages, but you will stay in Psalm 16 on the screens, right? Get it. Amen. All right, so Psalm 16, it actually begins uh, with what's called a pericope. And most of your Bibles is likely to have the phrase, it says, you will not abandon my soul. (laughs) Yeah, that alone It's a living word that can resurrect you every single day. Sounds like he feels like he might be abandoned. Yes. Maybe even some evidence that this may be true. Well, this phrase, you will not abandon my soul, is like a seed that has been buried in the nothingness. Deep down in there. Yes. Just look how verse 1 begins. Preserve me. (laughs) How much more Peshat does that get? When you're in that state of feeling like your soul is going to be abandoned, the first cry out of your mouth ought to be exactly what is stated here in verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Amen. When everybody say, in you. In you. You you know what the obvious part of this statement is? There is no refuge outside of him. That a calling to be preserved can only be found in the dwelling and sanctuary in the presence of our God. Verse 2 continues. I say to the Lord, you are my God. I have no good apart from you. It's a continuation of that refuge. Not only is he a shield, not only is he a tower, but that means that no good thing can come to me in my life that's apart from my living God. So the seed of God, that ball of potential, that coiled spring of resurrection power that's waiting to burst forth, it cries out from the very beginning, preserve me, O God. And preserve me exactly when, exactly where. It's particularly meant to be stated in the nothingness. That is the state in which your soul is going to be at its deepest, at its darkest, dwelling in the depths of fertilizer. And it's the time between the rains that this begins to come out of our mouths. Well, that seed is also taking refuge in God alone because he is the only hope of resurrection life. Look, when that becomes the foundation of our soul, the propellant for our spirit... That means that there is no situation that is outside of his control or his reach to be able to bring resurrection life. I want to to speak about this for just a minute. Speaking of a ball of potential, I remember the very day that Judah Stevens was brought home from the hospital after being born. There in his carrier, I think it was actually Hunter Green, wasn't it, Jen? It was blue, okay. His room was hundred green. Yeah. (laughs) Treaster says it's all the same. Okay. (laughs) And there inside of that baby carrier was a coiled spring of Holy Ghost potential. 
He was a seed that was starting to come to life. And over the course of years, I watched that infant grow into a boy and that boy grow into a man. I watched him grow in the wrestling with the truths of God's word, with the very declarations of God's commands and the interaction with his presence. And it got to the point where he had to experience for himself the transformational and resurrection power of God for his spirit and his soul. Well, Judah, if you asked him, he would describe these times of his teenage years or time in between the reigns as uh, something that's dark, dirty, much like a fertilizer-rich nothingness that was existing. You could count, yes. count, call it, you know, a mountain of manure at some points. But that's not what I saw. I could see what the nothingness was beginning to produce in him. Amen. I watched him wrestle. You know, I mean, he, was, he grew up here at LCM, inundated not only with truth from God's word being preached and taught, but it was actually being lived out on display. It was, he was surrounded by men and women of God who were putting this into practice. And there was something beginning to sprout inside of his soul. But I can tell you that day in and day out, up to that point of transformation, he was wrestling with the disparity of where he was and yet where he needed to be to be a part of the transformational power in the wise of the LCM. That disparity, that weight, that difference is supposed to be there because it is the very catalyst that brings resurrection life. Come on. Well, I was also there that day. Not only when he was born, but when he was born again. Oh, right there. That was a glorious day. It, it, was, it was a labor that went well beyond just 12 or 20 hours. It was, whew, yeah, 16 years of labor. Well, I witnessed the resurrection of his soul and the restoration of his spirit. I heard him declare before our entire church body, you are my Lord, and I will die serving you, mighty God. You know Judah. He's a man who means what he says. And he would not dare declare something to the entire congregation if he was not intent on holding true to it until his very last breath. He weighed the cost, and he counted his king worthy of making that declaration. And as you can see, this man of God that stands next to me now, he has held true to that declaration and that conviction. What I see evident is 1 Peter 1.23. It says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. You see, what happened on that day that he was transformed and born again, that was his early reign. And, and after that early reign... For him, there was that time of being in the nothingness. The in the nothingness, the, the lack of uh, future insight of what his life is going to look like. What is his call going to be? What is his mezuzah? Who's going to be his wife? How many kids is, is he going to have? Yeah, I think that last question is still yet to be determined. But you, you guys know, all you single guys know what this is like. You're standing in that place of in the nothingness, and you're trying to forecast the future promises of God, and it begins to war with your soul. I saw this happen with my brother right here. But what did God do? God multiplied him. He multiplied his capabilities. He multiplied his effect because he was constantly submitting his soul to the living God, saying, preserve me, O God. He was constantly saying, you are my God, and you alone I have refuge. He went from a man that was just single to a man who became a multiplied camp of the righteous. This was much like the story of Jacob. Well, to walk you through very quickly, in Genesis 28, Jacob has an experience with God at a place called Bethel. In fact, he's the one who named it Bethel, house Stay of God. And there he saw angels ascending and descending upon him. That was an early reign. And he had to go through a time period of being in the nothingness, a pile of fertilizer being poured upon the eternal seed that was inside of him. And we know that it was true that what God planted in him during that early reign 
came to fruition in Genesis 32 whenever he wrestled with God and he overcame. And during that experience, his name was then changed from Jacob or trickster to Israel or prince with God. Well, the time of trial in between reigns produced who Jacob was. It has provided for us a foundation that all 12 tribes now are the foundation of our faith and the, what God will build. I, saw, I witnessed the same thing inside of my brother Judah. I saw that early rain in this transformation. And I have seen the latter rains come in my brother's life. Amen. And what has been produced in the nothingness is something that we can stand here and say that Judah's reputation, his body of work, the very things that he has done in obedience to his God is a display of God's resurrection and multiplying power inside of his life. Amen. In totality, in the nothingness, the seed of God says... You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you, O oh God, because you are the one that resurrects my soul and multiplies my life. Amen. Saints, we're going to continue to interact with Psalm 16. But you just heard the preserve me cry. That only comes when you are in the nothingness. Mm -hmm. And you learn that we have no good apart from the Father. Well, here, verse 3. As for the saints in the land... They are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Listen, on Sunday, we heard from 1 Kings 17, 1 Kings 18, and we only had time for an allusion to 1 Kings 19. But with the excellent ones in whom is all my delight in mind, we want to engage for just a minute with the life of Elijah. I'm picking up in verse 14. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altar, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. You hear the cry of nothingness that says, I'm alone, there's no one around me? And they seek my life to take it away. Look, while we're engaging with this, I just want to share a personal note. I remember when Pastor Matthew came to Sugarland. He came from Egypt. I mean, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Slightly worse. <laughs> At that point in time, the Piros were, I don't know, I, even I, only am in left. They were surrounded by families that had defected, that had given up on the call of God. There were quite literally no one except two men that he knew in all of the world that were still faithfully serving the Lord. Surrounded by death and destruction. But God called them from that situation. Verse 15 goes on and it says, The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Get out of Louisiana. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat, of Abiel Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Look, Pastor Matthew is a father and a disciple maker. He is a father to many of you in the room. Can I get an amen from Fuerte? This came through the hardship of nothingness. Because the eternal seed of God in him said that he would live to produce fruit. What happened here in Elijah is in his desperation, in his feeling of solitude, God said to him, you're going to live, man, and you're going to go anoint other men to do the work. The reason that Pastor Matthew is a father to many of you is because he was placed in fertilizer-rich feelings of nothingness between the rains, between his initial experiences with God and the lifting out of that came the desperation, the love of the excellent ones. Yeah. Verse 17 says, The one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Look, the time frame of solitude and then the restoration of real brotherhood and fatherhood produced a man who makes other seeds more than they currently are. Amen. Saints, this is the work of God in Elijah. And this is the work that I have wat witnessed, watched as a boy inside of Pastor Matthew. Yeah. 
This is because what Christ did in him and through him between the reigns. This is the cycle of power that produces real fatherhood, real brotherhood, the ability to say, the excellent ones are my delight. I want you to look around you for just a minute. Look to your left, look to your right, turn around at that person that's staring at the back of your head. Saints, you are the excellent ones. We are the family of God that he built around us. Can I tell you that this family came out of the nothingness? Not just of what your life was, but the nothingness of us existing as a group. We delight in what God has done because it came from the cycle of power. The nothingness that produced resurrection in all of our lives. And we stand here together today because of it. Verse 18 says, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. In the nothingness, the seed of God, it says, you are not alone. It says that I need my brothers, and my brothers need me. Where do you think those deeply held convictions came from? They came from the nothingness, the time frames of feeling solitude, feeling like you were alone, feeling like you had nobody. Well, saints, that's how you learn to value the excellent ones. That's how you say, upon whom my delight is. The time between the rains, the time in the nothingness is what causes a man to value the 7,000 and to be able to say, they are the excellent ones and you will never get me to part from the men and women around me. You know, as Judah's recounting some of this is history and he says uh, about the deep conviction of I need my brothers and my brothers need me. You know, when that first was imparted into me by the Lord, that was an early rain. But can I tell you, since then, I've been through many seasons of in the nothingness. And each cycle of that season has produced more and more power and understanding of the phrase, I need my brothers and my brothers need me. Praise God for the ability that we have, the opportunity we have to go through these cycles of power. You realize that the first embedded revelations that you get, that it doesn't end with just that initial moment. But is there to go through the seasons of nothingness that results in more power for other people. Well, Peter, in his very first spirit-filled sermon, he boldly spoke of this cycle of power. And in it, he demanded repentance because he understood this next verse in Psalm 16, verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out. Or take their name on my lips. So when you're considering Peter's powerful sermon, remember it was being spoken to faithful Torah observant Jews who were in Jerusalem to worship Adonai. They were not carrying around wooden uh, totems and idols. No, their idols that he was attacking so powerfully were the very ideas and methods of salvation that do not include the nothingness of death and resurrection. They were alternative ideas and methods to the true gospel that gives resurrection power. They wanted to follow Yahweh. That was their heart's desire. That's where they were aiming. But we're being confronted with the very pathway to life. A pathway that includes death and the nothingness. Again and again and again and again. Because in the end, there's always resurrection life. To experience what Adonai had in store for them, they would have to go through the same cycle of power. Death in fertilizer-rich nothingness and being brought to resurrection life. So there's a time prior to Elijah's great stand in 1 Kings 18 that brought an end to the drought and an end to idolatry. It was preceded by another time of nothingness. A drought of sorts in the southern uh, kingdom of Judah. So I'm going to read to you out of 2 Chronicles 15, 3 through 7. For a long time, Israel was out without the true God, without a priest to teach and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, (laughs) the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. In those days... It was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the lands were in great turmoil. 
One nation was being crushed by another and one city by another because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. Sounds this is being spoken. What's that? Sounds buried to me in fertilizer. It does. Verse seven. But as for you, be strong and do not give up. Amen. For your work will be rewarded. Amen. So this passage it is occurring during Elijah's existence, but before the declared famine we heard about on Sunday. And much like the season of Israel's history stated in this passage, you know there were many years in this ministry where I saw the people of God multiply their sorrows because they consistently chose alternatives to the true gospel and the path of life that God established for us. You know, I would watch them. The Lord would bring them into distress allow them to experience the trouble of moving from one church to another and they're being crushed at every turn and at every step. Their life just keeps getting worse and worse because they're seeking that alternative. Well, during these days in LCM of nothingness, I was comforted by something. I was comforted by the eternal seed within my brother Judah. Amen. You know, a boy who became my brother... He stood by our side and he refused to join in with the fickle and faithless that were in our midst. He absolutely refused to participate in their idolatry of offense. I remember it. Just, you know, at 17, 18 years old, he would hear about it. And as a loving spearhead of truth, he would confront it head on. Nor would he let the false speech of their character be uttered on his lips. He wouldn't repeat what they said. He knew the death and the danger of doing that. Instead, he stood firmly on the deep convictions of what has and continues to build this church. That includes fortifying brotherhood. Amen. That includes letting every word upon our lips be grounded in the counsel of God's word. Amen. I saw in my brother Judah an ever-increasing tenacity to produce Righteousness in the lives of the people in this very church. Your lives have been impacted because of his tenacity. Your lives have been impacted because he has pushed and spent himself on the behalf of the saints to see God's work completed inside of you. In the nothingness, the seed of God says, I will be strong and I will not give up. Because I am certain that my reward is with my God. Come on. <clears throat> this is the only name that will be upon our lips, saints. We will refuse other powerless alternatives. And we will choose Christ's cycle of power at work in our lives. We will choose to be buried in nothingness so that we, we, we can be raised into resurrection. Saints, this evening we are going to keep moving. And we are not going to settle on the idols that are other ways besides the nothingness. Instead, in this room, we're going to cultivate the certainty of the reward. Yeah. Somebody say certainty. certainty. This must become a certainty in us. You do have the eternal seed of God, and it will produce a crop. The eternal seed is something that we choose to cling to again and again. We choose the cycle that does bring nothingness, but is the cycle of power. It's what unleashes the power of God at work in us. This is what brings us to the pathway of our Savior, from nothingness to resurrection. Are you beginning to see why Peter preached on it? Yeah. Picking up in verse 5, the Lord, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Look, clearly here the psalmist is saying, there are other options. He already listed, there are other gods. But he's saying, I am choosing the Lord, even though that leaves me in a state of nothingness. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Why? Because he has chosen the Lord as his portion and cup. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Look, Pastor Matthew was chosen by God, born again, called. But I've also watched him choose the Lord again and again. The lines, a better way to say it is maybe the runway or the path of life. They produce a beautiful inheritance. 
But you don't get a beautiful inheritance without going through the time between the reigns, without walking the same road as Christ, without going through the powerful cycle. See, Christ's cycle, the lines that he's laid out for us, they will bring you between the reins in dark, buried, and fertilizer-rich time frames where you choose the Lord as your portion over everything else that offers you security. Yes, Lord! See, I remember when these guys left the secular workforce entirely. See, many pastors are looking as uh, a salary from the pastorate being like a safety net, a, a place to fall to as they fail in their secular environments because they can't lead anywhere they go. These guys actually succeeded where they were planted, succeeded where they were at. I remember Kenmore Electric had like a $40,000 sales quota. Gabriel, you in here? You know what I'm talking about? By the time Matthew Pirro left, it was over 450000 because he outperformed and outproduced every single month that he was there, and he grew to supervise multiple plants. That was the most secure that Matthew could be at the time that he chose to come dedicate 100% of his work week to our lives. So we could cover scenarios like this all night long, and I really would be happy to. But I know you have that turkey to get to, right? The Lord is our chosen portion. You hear a message on Sunday about the rains are coming. How many times do you have to choose the Lord in between the time that you hear the rains are coming before you see it? 1 Corinthians 15 is a passage that is special to us and is pertinent this evening. Picking up in verse 53, it says, For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable. Or in other words, as John 12 put it, the seed must die so that it can be clothed with glory and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. This is like saying when you've gone through the nothingness, through the death, it will produce the rain. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. How did Christ triumph over sin and death? Well, he first died and experienced the resurrection of the dead. He gives us that same victory by walking through the same pathway, the same lines, the same powerful cycle. Therefore, therefore, in light of what he has given us, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Saints, there's an absolute certainty about the fact that our labor is not in vain that we have to grasp this evening. In the dead, buried, fertilizer-rich nothingness between the rains, the eternal seed of God says, give yourself fully. Stand firm. It is not in vain, Keith Phillips. It is not in vain is what the eternal seed of God says in a man. See, the seed of God must be buried to demonstrate that power. I'd say we were well positioned in this house. Amen. Believe the seed of God in the midst of doubts, betrayals, adversities, and plaguing emotions. Stand with your brothers. Stand with those who have gone ahead of you. Follow the pathway of fathers in the faith who have already shown you what this process looks like. And that's why they can pray for your faith to be restored. Amen. The eternal seed demands that we fight for growth. It demands that we will not yield until we see what we are after. The eternal seed inside of us says, God will cause it to rain. Amen. We prayed on Sunday. I don't know how many of you were at the altar, but I was. I was. Anybody in the room ask God to rain on you? Yes. After he asked you to rain, or you asked him to rain on you, how many of you did not immediately experience a change in your circumstances or the way you felt the next day? Saints, in this house, we're going to have to learn to give it six more Sundays, to give it six more months, to keep going back to the sea. Saints, we heard the message. I mean, I felt it with you. 
But there's a big difference between hearing that on Sunday, knowing the end of the matter, the conclusion, and you having to stretch the distance of life and nothingness between to see it happen. Some of you at times are your own biggest enemies, and that's why we appear to be fighting with you all of the time. We're not fighting with you. We're fighting with the adversary within that constantly wants to be disgruntled. Set your face like flint and know for certain your labor is not in vain. Saints, fathers, they make lines for their sons to run in. Pastor Matthew has shown us a line that we can run in watching his way of life, watching the nothingness, and watching God resurrect it again. Lines, though. Like, I'm not exactly the guy who likes to color within the lines. Lines often feel like they're killing you. Feel like you're boxed in. Some translations actually say here, boundary lines, as in like, Offense intended to contain you, like restrictions. If you hang in there with us for just a little longer, though, you're going to see that these lines are actually the pathway of life. They are your Holy Ghost runway. They are your ramp to righteousness. Those lines will take you from a cycle of death to a cycle of resurrection power. They are not for your restriction. They're for your transformation and your life. Come on, say it with me. Those lines... Or my pathway to life. Pathway to life. You know, I can say in my interaction and growth alongside my brother Judah, I can echo the words of Paul that he writes in Corinthians. Death is at work in me, but life is at work in you. Amen. It is my joy to participate in the nothingness, the death feeling that it is, because I am certain after this many cycles and seasons, life is on its way. Well, verse 7 continues with an attitude that expresses what we should be saying in the nothingness. I bless the Lord. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord sometimes before me. No, I have set the Lord always before me. Doesn't that sound like a very intentional choice? Yes. And it's something that is to always be done. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. So look, many times I've seen Judah go through the seasons of nothingness. Standing between the reins. And he displays a desperation to know the heart, mind, and will of our God. In the nothingness. My brother Judah is, a ble- is blessing the Lord who has and will continue to give him counsel. Who has and will continue to give him the right word, the clear discernment of what is needed for this body next. You know, you ever talk to Judah and you, you dig a little bit deeper and you find out his mind is constantly scouring over the word? He is constantly pouring over the same chapters, the same passages And then something beautiful happens. The God of all heaven springs to life something divine in his pursuit. It is then that the eternal seed within him breaks through the soil that was buried in death. And a life-giving word emerges from the nothingness. A life-giving word emerges from, as our Latin brothers would say, in la nada. (laughs) That these lines have become pathways to immortal life. So more times than I can count, Judah has come to me and he said that how he's been wrestling over an issue in his own heart. And in that wrestling, he was met with the Lord reviving his own soul with scriptural truths. Truths that have ended up giving our entire church liberation from our own self-inflicted lies. Truths that have given us revelation to release us from the bonds of our own deception. He has been faithful to actively trust the Lord, his God, that is always before him. The God who is at his right hand and remain firmly planted on the rock who is, in, who is Christ. It has been to our benefit and to our edification that then he takes those truths and he extends his right hand to impart these empowering elements that has lifted his own soul. The very things that have brought him out of the muck and the mire. And these things that have served to deliver us from our own despair. Exodus 14, 12 through 16 says this. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, 
Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It's just better not to try. No, give up now. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Don't, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. So like Israel, you guys have been buried in the grave of despair at times. You've been standing at the precipice of something that was an impossibility, the deep blue sea, and you have wished to return to a life of predictability, a life of comfort, even though it meant that you were returned to a life of slavery. What, what is given to you in these times? These very moments, what is bestowed upon you is a man of God with chutzpah. A man of God who actually will stand up and speak up and begin to direct your body, soul, and spirit to do the same. To stand firm on the promises that God has already spoken to you. I'm talking about a man who stands firmly on the evidence of the early reigns of the Exodus with the surety of the latter reigns of the promised land. Oh, it's still on. yet to come. Look, Moses is able to stand up on the inside and the outside why? Because his father is resurrecting his courage Come with on. the promise that his right hand will be upon Moses. And that Moses' right hand will be the very thing that raises the staff and stretches his hand over the sea. You know that God is putting you in seasons of being in the nothingness so that you get deep convictions that will stretch out your hand to do what man's natural hands cannot do? Your hands will be laid on those that are sick that medicine cannot cure, but the impossible is conquered through the empowerment of God through you. Amen. It's only between the reign of the Exodus and the reign of the promised land in the nothingness that you learn to quiet your soul. Hallelujah. Come uh, on. That's an important part. How good our father is to let us remain in that state of being in the nothingness until we finally shut our soul up. Amen. And we begin to actually listen to what he is trying to encourage us with. In that quieting of our soul, we then begin to find the empowerment of our father to get up. To stretch out our hands. Come on. To have expectation that Adonai it will move on our behalf and move through us for others' behalf. There's a truth here. Lessons worth imparting to others can only be learned by being trapped between the devil and the deep blue sea. There's no other way to get lessons from God deeply embedded in your soul. Unless you're put in that position of being in the nothingness. That's true. We learn during the time of nothingness from men like my brother Judah, from men like Moses, to always set the Lord before us. Yeah. You want to know the cure to how to rejoice and bless the Lord in those times of being in the nothingness? Well, Always set the Lord before you. Always make it an intentional choice to lock your eyes on your living God and trust his superiority that's greater than your circumstance. Oh, come on. Because the Lord is at our right hand, because we are constantly setting him before us, the end promise is stated in the passage in Psalm 16. We will not be shaken. Come on. Saints, we're learning a few things this evening. In the nothingness, the eternal seed of God that is in you, it says, I will not be shaken. There is no amount of army, no amount of difficulty that can change that reality when you grasp it. You can hear the courage that this cycle of power produced in Peter as he is preaching. Peter, as he stands to address the people, and 3,000 men are saved in a single day. Peter learned from Psalm 16 that he himself would not be shaken as he took his stand. Yeah. The time before the resurrection and the appearance of Christ, 
Well, in Peter's life, it certainly looked like nothingness. He was out fishing. He had lost all hope. He thought the call of God on his life was done, just too buried. But I would say 3,000 in a single day saved isn't nothing. It doesn't sound like nothing to me, but the distance between definitely felt like nothing. You know how you achieve a conviction? You get desperate. You get buried in the nothingness, and God will give you the ability to impart that to others. Let's look at verse 9 of Psalm 16. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Notice here for a minute, the psalmist has not been delivered yet. But he has recognized that Christ is at work in him, that Adonai is moving in this process. So my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. It's almost as if he could grasp something that is not yet seen. He's buried in the nothingness, but he knows there's a reality beyond his present circumstances. Peter quoted this exact verse in his sermon in Acts chapter 2 because he understood that those chosen by the Lord, those who have chosen the Lord, must be buried in nothingness to find the lines of the Lord that lead to the pathway of life. Come on. See, it's an early rain when he chooses you, and you have to choose him again and again, and he will show you the pathway. You've heard in this message, our walk along the lines that God has laid out, our runway. And you've witnessed our personal pathway to eternity. We can all admit that nothingness, well, it feels like hell. That's why he said he will not be abandoned. Because it feels like hell and it feels like he has been abandoned. But it's not hell. At least it's not just hell. It's the cycle of power that brings resurrection life. Nobody's denying it hurts between the rains. Nobody's denying that it is uncomfortable to have fertilizer stacked on your head. We're just saying the eternal seed of God and you won't let you see decay. Amen. You will rise again and rise stronger than you were at first. Look, briefly, we want to visit the life of Joshua. You just heard from Pastor Matthew how Israel had early rains when Christ delivered them from Egypt. They were rescued by Adonai. They were born again. But then they have this whole desert time frame, like 40 years, in fact, of nothingness prior to entering the land that they heard about in the beginning. See, well, that time frame produced Joshua. See, it looked like nothing to them, but Joshua and Caleb came out of it. I'd say that's something. That's not nothing. Joshua had his own moments. When Moses was alive, Joshua had a supernatural reign. Then he's got a father got a discipler. As Deuteronomy 32 says, Moses' teaching fell like rain. Who was the primary recipient of that? The young aide who was with him all of the time. But the thing is, where we're picking up, Moses is dead now. This is Joshua 1.1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Gotta love how matter-of-fact God is about that. There's no cordial invite. It's not like, well, my servant has gone on high, and if you would like a few months to grieve the situation, he just says, my servant is dead. Now, then you and all these people, get ready. Saints, Joshua experienced the early reigns of discipleship. Those early comforting times when it felt like God was doing so much in him, it's so fast. Man, I'm being transformed. I'm learning new things every day. And then God caused the early rains to be shut off by his own design. Yeah. They're dead now, Joshua. So get up and get ready. Saints, we want to tell you tonight, get up and get ready. Amen. God wants to do something and it will not happen with you whining about the nothingness. You must embrace this cycle of power. Yeah. Get up and get ready, he says. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. Saints, Joshua was anointed before the death of Moses. He knew he was called. Joshua knew that he was called to lead the Lord's people. Joshua is now 
buried in a fertilizer-rich environment. The one who anointed him, who told him about his calling, who taught him, whose teaching was like rain. Well, he's now dead, and Joshua has never walked in his calling once in his life. He has never led them. Moses has always been there to do it. Worse yet, what shoes does he have to fill? There's no practical witness that God is with Joshua like he was with Moses. There's no Egypt being crushed, no plagues, no supernatural water coming out of a rock. No evidence he is actually anointed to do it. Can you imagine how trapped Joshua might feel? How buried in nothingness compared to what had gone before him? See, but in the nothingness, the seed of God said inside of Joshua, I will be with you like I was with him. I am the same God, Joshua, as I was to Moses, and I will move inside of you. See, the eternal seed inside of Joshua spoke these words despite all the evidence being against him. We want to tell you tonight, even as we tell ourselves, that the seed of God, it says, go on. I will be with you. Our own time between the rain, it is for our triumph and transformation. Do not give up. Do not yield and do not renegotiate your position. Stand firm until you see what God has said come to pass. Learn to be glad. Learn to rejoice. Let your whole body sing and thank God for what you do not yet see, but yet you can perceive. See, this is why Peter is preaching out of Psalm 16, because he saw Christ die. He was buried in death, but he saw him resurrected. We must learn to be glad in this process, to rejoice in the cycle that produces power and the pathway of life before you have seen the resurrection. Amen. So you're going to rejoice with us tonight. Are you going to rejoice with us tonight? We're going to finish... On our last verse in Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. Yeah. In, the, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Fullness. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So look, in the nothingness, the time between the rains, God makes known to you the path of life. Meaning that he is bringing into reality the lines that have fallen in pleasant places for you. Our God is always seeking to make his path of life known to you. And he does it by putting you in situations that make you rely not on yourselves, but on God who raises the dead. The God who will bring life from the eternal seed that is currently residing inside of you. Even when you're in the nothingness. You know what you still have? I mean, you still have access to his presence. Even in the nothingness, the throne of God is available for you to run to with hands raised and expect empowerment from your God. Let me tell you tonight, you are not abandoned, saints. Amen. Tonight, you are not destroyed. You will not see decay. Come on. You know what you have done? If you're in that nothingness, you have finally descended to the higher place. A place where your soul can be lifted up to your God. You can stand in his presence and you can find the fullness of joy. In the nothingness, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. I mean, uh, think about that. It is not partial. It is not marginal. It is not temporary. It is not occasional. It is fullness of joy. It is there at all times, at all measures, and it overflows. Standing between the reins is a position of complete joy. Why? Because the right hand of God is still upon you. The promises of God were no less true for Elijah during the third attempt of his servant. He was no less called, and his final destiny was no less certain. Our positioning between the reins, saints, it's a choice. A choice to stand in faith or a chance to watch God do it despite us. In addition to being a choice, can I say that joy is a choice as well? Joy is not an emotion that I am waiting to fall upon me. Joy is an intentionality to see who my God is and the access that I have to him at all times. His right hand 
His presence provides the perspective of what will come to fruition while you are buried in the nothingness. You know what you can say whenever you have that reality and that true perspective? You can say, let the rain dry up. You can say, pour on the fertilizer. Mount up the manure. Nothing can stop this eternal seed in me from coming to life because my God is with me. And I know something now. I know something now more than I did yesterday. I know this is the pathway to life. In the nothingness, the seed of God says, in your lines, you have yes. made me know the path of life. Saints, tonight we have identified the lines that are the pathway to life. We've identified the cycle of power that breaks through the nothingness. On Sunday, we learned to honor the calling that is on each of our lives. We also learned to honor the called of God that are in our lives on our left and right. We have a slide we'd like to remind you of. This must become two immovable pillars. We will drill this into our own souls so that what comes out of us when pressed is I will honor the calling of God and I will honor the call of God. They're non-negotiables. Today we have learned the way that we do these things. We have learned that we have the eternal seed of God. And it says something inside of us that we must agree with in our worst of moments. We have that next slide, please. I will multiply despite the death. Yes! Resurrection is on the way. The seed of God inside of you says that, and if you will agree with God, he will cause it to happen. Amen. You are my Lord. I have no, not a nothing good apart from you. Nothing else is even an option. We are the family of God, and we will choose none other. I am not alone. Somebody say, I'm not alone. I'm alone. See, I remember when a lot of you were single, just like Pastor Matt was recounting in my life. Not only are you not alone, he has settled you in families. He has armed you with a brotherhood of men who stand next to you. This time is producing excellent ones right beside me. See, your time of nothingness is what produces more excellent ones around you. And it's what allows you to see your brothers as the excellent ones. I am certain that my reward is with my God. I will not be shaken. I have set always the Lord before me. I will go on for he is with me. In the nothingness, the seed of God says, in your lines, you have made known the path to life. Saints, we want to tell you this evening that if you really want to see it rain, that if what you want is supernatural power in your life and you don't want to be burdened by the same old sinful burdens, then you're going to have to decide, I'm done running away from the nothingness. Go ahead, pour on the fertilizer. I want as difficult of a situation as you can give me because I know that my God's power will be put more and more on display. The more that you mound on me, that is how big he will show up in response to it. See, we love the story of Elijah and we're all moved by it because of the impossible odds. See, I want to see the demonstration of a God who is able to move in the impossible. That means we must put ourselves in impossible situations. Every good stone or conviction you have in your life came from those desperate moments. I don't have a stone that I hold on to from three or four children that were burned perfectly healthy in a natural, normal way. I have stones in my life from the one that the doctor said he would be deformed and he would die. This is not even worth holding on to. That is the one that produced something in me that is what I have to share with you. And he sits here healthy in the service, messing with his mama right now. <laughs> this is a house that will believe despite the odds. Yes. But we're going to have to start with believing despite the odds in ourselves. The things we have felt like we cannot conquer. Because in that, God will give you transformation. And then we'll take on the rest of the world. But we'll start with us, LCM. Yeah. 
If you're willing to stand firm with us, to give yourself fully, to know that this is not in vain, regardless of what your lying eyes tell you, then please stand with us tonight. As you're standing, we want to make sure that we have a clear, demonstrable response to what God is instructing us all through Psalm 16. Selmuth, can you put up verse 11 of Psalm 16 again? You made known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. The attitude that we're going to respond with right now is that in your nothingness, with your whole being, like verse 6 said, you're going to demonstrate the fullness of joy. You're going to make it a choice. You're going to make it an intentional act of faith that says, yes, pour on the fertilizer. Yes, dry up the rain. My God is with me as I'm buried in this nothingness because I know my God is with me that is going to raise me up from it. Let joy rise in this house. Let your voices sing to him. Come on, worship team. Kick us out. <laughs>